Welcome back to the University of Minnesota Extension's Nutrient Management Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Wilcox, Communications Generalist here with the U of M Extension. In this episode, we're talking about nitrogen decision tools. We have three panelists here with us today. Can you each give us a quick introduction? Hi, I am Fabian Fernandez. I'm a nutrient management specialist at the University of Minnesota, located in the St. Paul campus. Hi, this is Jeff Vetch, uh, nutrient management uh, researcher here at the Southern Research and Outreach Center. Uh, this is Daniel Kaiser. I'm a nutrient management specialist at the University of Minnesota campus at St. Paul. How much are we actually at risk of losing fall or spring applied nitrogen because soils are saturated in May? Well, Jack, that's a, an interesting question that comes up. I think every spring, I've been here for, for 10 years now already in Minnesota and before that in, in other states in the Midwest, and that question is a typical one. And it is a little bit difficult to answer sometimes specifically because it is so dependent on the conditions you are in. Typically, the earlier applications have more potential for loss simply because you have more time for the transformation of that nitrogen that you apply that is mostly in some form that is ammonium or will transform to ammonium quickly for that transformation from the ammonium to the nitrate happening. And so if it's already in the nitrate form, you have more potential for loss. So if you apply in the fall, of course, that window of time is much larger. And we didn't have an extremely cold winter this winter. And so um, I suspect that there was quite a bit of nitrogen that already nitrified by by springtime. The the other, I guess, saving grace, though, for this year is that the spring, even though we didn't really have a really, really cold fall and, and early spring, it wasn't either. It wasn't warm either, so it wasn't really warm. And so, uh, I suspect that the rate of uh, nitrification was not huge either. Um, but certainly, you know, some of that nitrogen was already nit in nitrate form. And then um, the the applications in the spring have to do a little bit more with the nitrogen source. Uh, if you apply something that will transform quicker to nitrate, like urea, for instance, you know, urea, you apply urea, it transforms to ammonium in a few days typically. And then depending on the conditions, you can start nitrifying it. Uh, compared to, let's say, anhydrous ammonia, where it takes, you know, a, a lot longer to transform to nitrate. And so if you apply urea in the spring, chances of uh, nitrification and potential for loss are greater than uh, than anhydrous ammonia. Um, the, the other thing that is interesting for, for this year is, of course, you know, we're talking across Minnesota, and we had pretty diverse conditions in Minnesota this spring. Um, in some parts of the state, especially the southern part of the state, we got a lot more rain than some of the, the other parts of the state. You know, we have areas where we have excess water and other areas where we are kind of in a drought condition already or getting there. In those situations, again, is the amount of water that drives nitrogen loss. If we had a lot, if you had a lot of water, uh, there is more potential for loss. And um, even with some of those Pretty large rain events that we saw in south central Minnesota, where you got, you know, five to seven inches of rain over a very short period of time. Uh, my suspicion is that even though there is some risk of nitrogen loss, in general, probably we did not lose as much nitrogen as we would expect. Um, 
I think more often we lose more nitrogen when you get, you know, a wet spring where you get water, you know, rain every three or four days in small increments and that water just doesn't have enough time to evaporate. And so you're basically accumulating water that starts then to trickle through the soil profile and moving nitrate down to dials. In in this year, the way that the rain came, I suspect that there was a little bit of or quite a bit of uh, water runoff on the surface. And so there was not, I don't think, as much water moving through the soil profile, even though we, we did see definitely, you know, tiles flowing more so than the last two years where we was we were uh, in a very uh, dry spring. Uh, but certainly not what we normally have seen in other years where the springs have been wet. And so I think the, the biggest potential, I think, for loss this year in those areas where we got a lot of rain is in the lowland areas of the field where water tends to accumulate and, and you end up with a, kind of a double problem in there. You get nitrogen lost mostly through denitrification because you have water-saturated conditions in those fields or areas of the field, and then um, poor crop condition, which um, which also impacts, you know, you might have still quite a bit of nitrogen in there, but the crop is not really doing very well. And so the potential for loss from those sites is also large. Well, one of the things you've got to think about too is with denitrification, we know that that's likely our main concern just with saturated soils is that um, Fabia mentioned it. I mean, temperature is a main factor for that. So uh, just looking at some data and some data we use from Nitrogen Smart, it's some older data, but it kind of talks about uh, soil saturator four or for four or for 10 days and the amount of the nitrogen denitrified from what was applied. So at soil temperatures at 50 degrees Fahrenheit, um, some of this earlier study was only showing three to 6%, you know, whether you're four or 10 days saturated. So since that's a microbial process, the cooler it is, I mean, the nitrate can be there, but it may not necessarily be lost. Um, so you look at a comparison um, at 77 degrees or close to 80 degrees Fahrenheit soil temperature. Um, the study was showing at four days, 20% loss of what was applied. That's in the nitrate form because that's that's key. It's got to be in the nitrate form. If your nitrogen is applied and it's still in the ammonium form, it, it's not going to be denitrified because it, it that the ammonium is, is fairly stable. And for 10 days, roughly 43%. And I think, uh, you know, Jeff, you had some research of some side dress studies a number of years ago. It's probably been like five, six years ago in central Minnesota where we had a lot of saturation in June. And there seemed to be situations then that, you know, almost all the nitrogen was seemingly lost. So that's kind of the main thing. And, you know, it's always as a key of when this occurs because if it's early enough, if your fertilizer is not in a form that's going to be lost, I mean, really the overall uh, potential for that nutrient um, to, to still be there is relatively high. I mean, the main thing is where it's in the profile. Maybe it moved it deeper in the profile and your roots are shallow. So you might see some early nutrient deficiency symptoms if the roots aren't in a place where it can be actively taken up. Yeah, you're right, Dan. We had a study several years ago where we looked at... Uh... Take using the PSNT soil test at V4 to V6 to try to identify fields that might have concerns about nitrate or losses and through leaching or denitrification. And we had a couple of sites that had got a lot of rain in late May and early June. And by the time we soil sampled them, there really wasn't a lot of nitrate it left in the profile in that top foot of that sample. But at the same time, I totally agree with you. This situation is different because we had a relatively cool spring 
Um, most of this rain came in the first, you know, 10 to 14 days of May. Uh, soil temperatures at six inches at that at here at Wasika at that time were only in the upper 50s and low 60s on average. So the biological activity of the denitrifying microorganisms, as well as some of the end was probably still in the ammonium form and was probably not going to be as big a loss mechanism as it would have been if it would have occurred in, in late May or certainly in June. What options do we have to assess nitrogen loss following heavy rain? Well, as a soil scientist, I mean, it's kind of nice to always say that there is um, you know, some sort of soil test option out there. And I mean, right now, the pre-sidress nitrate test, I mean, it's something that, you know, late May, early June is something that growers could consider. This is a one-foot sample um, just to look at. It's more of a qualitative measure. So if you're above about 25, 26 part per million, you're probably okay. And that's of nitrate nitrogen. Um, you might see some people focusing on tissue sampling. It's something I would avoid, um, especially this early in the growing season. When you have saturated and flooded conditions, um, I mean, if the plant's not taking up the nutrient, it's going to show up in the tissue sample, even though it might still be in the soil. So that's where right now, I think that's probably the best option. If you're kind of wondering where things are at, um, I would assume by now, most of the nitrogen should be converted from ammonium over to nitrate. Uh, so anything that was applied maybe early May, um, as warm as we've been, should be converted that so you should get a fairly accurate read on the amount of nitrate that's there but uh, yeah the main thing i just want to stress right now is i think the soil test option is a better option than some other factors particularly for corn because i think what you're going to see um you know particularly for tissue samples you're just going to get a read on what the environmental conditions have thrown at that plant and if things tend to improve, you might see the numbers start to go up. So it's one of the things that I'm really not crazy about it. Um, now, over Twitter, there was something that came across through our nutrient management account, a grower showing some plants um, that were over tile lines they put in, I think, last fall, where they had some, it would look like red, actually, on the plants. And that's usually a, a generally a, a visual symptom of oxygen deprivation or some other factor. It's not really a nutrient as much of an issue. And that's kind of one of the things that we tend to run into with uh, situations with a lot of saturation is the plants will kind of look weird and, um, you know, growers will kind of start looking at um, different nutrient deficiency symptoms to try to explain some of it when it could be true that it is, um, you know, a particular nutrient. But if that plant doesn't, if that's oxygen starved near the roots, we know it's going to have some issues with taking up several nutrients. So, you know, a lot of things can occur. So, Again, that's kind of where I stress right now, um, really the soil test probably is your best option. It's not, a, I mean, a great option in terms of telling you how much nitrogen to apply based on that, but it's probably a good option if you're trying to figure out whether or not a field um, would need some supplemental in application. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Dan, that uh, really the, the best tool right now in these conditions uh, would be the soil uh, test for nitrate. And it should be pretty accurate right now, as you mentioned, because most of that nitrogen that we apply is already in the nitrate form and uh, mineralization is taking place too. So that will give you a, a good uh, idea of what is happening. But uh, the the other thing that I also uh, would like to mention is that along with that information, look at the state of the crop. Like I mentioned earlier, I suspect that this year we'll have um, fields that will be kind of all over the place. There will be parts of the field where the crop will look great and other parts where it won't. And and it has to do with this ponding that we had early on with some of those heavy rains. And so 
take that into consideration. You know, don't just look at the the values and and use that to decide. Well, I need to apply more nitrogen if the end values are low in the soil because again, there could be a potential there that nitrogen might not be there, but the crop might not need that much nitrogen if it's not doing very well. Uh, there were areas also where there was crusting in the field. Uh, you had some shallow roots in some in some of those fields, and then the crossing also creates some issues for oxygen to get into the soil, and that that's important. You know, the roots do need oxygen to take up nutrients, and so if you have crossing, even though you might have a crop growing in there, um, that can also limit how much of that crop will will be able to take advantage of what is in there. You know, with nutrients, with water in the soil. Well, I mean, it was interesting kind of driving around to Lamberton, seeing rotary hose out this year. So it's the most I've actually seen them, um, you know, growers trying to deal with some of these cresting issues in some of these ponded areas. The main thing, as Fabian said, though, is you've got to assess and determine whether it's worth it. Because I've seen situations where, I mean, we get some of the saturation, it just sets yield back. But the amount of nitrogen it takes to maximize yield is the same in a good versus a bad area in some fields. I mean, you just really never know. And that's kind of one of the issues with it. So throwing more nitrogen at it, um, you know, may not necessarily do anything. So it's one of the things that just that initial assessment of um, just how that crop looks is really important right now, just to figure out, you know, what's the best course of action moving forward. If a grower is planning on applying nitrogen in season, what suggestions would you have for sources, timing, placement, and inhibitors? I would say, you know, ultimately the best the best application method for side dress is getting it in the soil, especially with we've got these kind of hot, dry soils at the surface now. So UAN stream injected or injected would probably be ideal. Um, a lot of growers maybe don't want to go that route. Crops getting too big, limited equipment or limited number of acres you can cover. So then you look at maybe a high clearance sprayer and dribbling UAN either between the rows or uh, with a wide drop uh, underneath the canopy. Certainly don't want to spray that on top. Um, if you're, that's not an option or UAN is an end source that you have, then maybe looking at, at urea uh, broadcast over the surface. And that could be done in a multiple ways, um, maybe with a spinner spreader, maybe with a high clearance tractor with a box on top. Um, if that is done, that's probably where you need a urease inhibitor to limit the volatilization potential or volatilization losses of urea. Right now, we got really warm soil temps. Um, we don't have a lot of rain in the forecast. Maybe a chance for some today. Maybe a chance for some this weekend. If you're going to broadcast urea and leave it on the soil surface, I think you got to have a urease inhibitor uh, in there to protect that from volatilization losses because we don't know when that next rain is going to occur. And even with that urease inhibitor, I have seen a little bit of leaf burning edges on times when urea laid out in this kind of heat. Uh, so don't be surprised if you see that. Don't don't think that, hey, that, that urease inhibitor didn't work. It's just that these are some pretty extreme tough conditions. And the good news is I think the forecast is supposed to cool off a little bit here the next several days. But we got really warm soil temps. Fortunately, they're dry. Um, so that will be good. That the moist, moist, warm soil is worse for volatilization losses. But those would be your top choices and and their top options, most likely. And um, one thing that I think is also important to to remind people of is that at this time, 
with these applications, you are not looking at the nitrification inhibitor. You know, don't waste your money in putting a nitrification inhibitor because um, what you want is nitrogen to be available for the crop. And I mean, ammonium and nitrate, both are forms of nitrogen that the plant can use. And the only reason to use a nitrification inhibitor is when you are concerned about the losses that we were talking earlier in the podcast, when when it's early in the spring and you don't want to lose nitrate. Uh, right now, the, the chance of... Um, you know, losing nitrogen because of heavy rains is pretty limited. Uh, the crops are starting to grow pretty quickly here. It's warm, and so there is a lot of evapotranspiration. So the chance of water, even if we get quite a bit of rain, the chance of that water making it into the tile lines or or ponding there for uh, very long is extremely low. And so you don't need to to put money into a nitrification inhibitor. Um, and then I, I guess it goes without say, but I will say anyway because uh, uh, it, it is important to be reminded that. Um, for nitrogen sources, and I agree with you, Jeff, that uh, the best thing to do is basically look at what you have at your disposal and that will create the least potential for volatilization loss or uh, or uh, canopy damage. But one thing that sometimes people look at is slow release or control release products at this time of the year. And I strongly uh, recommend against those uh, because again the plants are ready to take up nitrogen now so you don't want to be applying something that will be available you know four or six weeks from now the other thing i would add and we didn't talk about is rate and in my experiences and i and i open this up to dan fabian too is if if these fields lost some end it's not all the end. We don't need a large rate if you're going to go out there and, and touch up some of these fields. 30 to 50 pounds of N is more than enough um, to, to uh, set these fields back into a condition where they can reach optimum yield potential. Yeah, I agree with that, um, Jeff. You know, it's kind of interesting. Um, we are in this in this era where we we want to be precise in everything to the last decimal of things. Uh, but in my experience, uh, this very generalized approach of, you know, 30 to 50 pounds, it works pretty well year in and year out in these situations where you know you lost nitrogen. Uh, you know, we we try and we do, we do a lot of research to try to figure out better, you know, how much we need to dial in uh, for the application, but um, what I see in practical terms is that typically um, that 30 to 50 pound rate just about covers it in pretty much every situation if you need to apply additional nitrogen. I don't know about you, but I guess with the, the situation now with the rain, I would kind of you know kill right now for a, a garden variety thunderstorm going along a front line. I mean, this has been some goofy weather um, just with some of the, the rain and You'll get a little bit of rain, and that's kind of a danger, really, with some of the products like urea, just a little bit of rain to dissolve it because you get those, some of those processes going by which you get volatility. So I would just echo on what Jeff said is, um, you know, agritain or something similar. Um, I would watch what product you're applying because there are some products out there that have the same active ingredient as agritain, but not a lot. So you may not get as much effect of it. So it's one of the things to kind of to ask some questions if you are paying for it, um, just if it's cheap, it may be an issue. It's cheap because it may not be quite as effective. Um, 
The other thing I would look at too, if you are dealing with uh, continuous corn situations is look for sulfur deficiency too. So that might be one thing to kind of watch out for this spring, because if you are side dressing, ammonium sulfate isn't a bad option. It'll supply some of the nitrogen. You won't have the volatility and would give you a little bit of sulfur. I think if you're having a pre-plan of like 20 to 25 pounds of sulfur, I don't think I'd worry about it too much. But if you're kind of in that 10 pound to maybe 15 pound range, if you're seeing some striping on the upper part of the, the canopy, um, especially if it's pretty pronounced, it might be something you want to consider. It's one of the things I do see with sulfur in my research is that we do tend to see on some fields some striping early on, but it'll tend to go away once we get towards v, V10 as the, the soil starts to mineralize more S. So it's, I think, just one thing to keep an eye out for. Uh, if you're seeing some yellowing, it might be just worth going out in the field, just kind of looking at some of those areas and just seeing what the symptoms look like on the plant itself. This question about the placement, and I don't know, to me, I feel like it makes absolutely no difference whether you apply nitrogen right next to the, the row or between the rows, um, because nitrogen is so mobile that uh, and it's taken up by mass flow that it doesn't really matter. But uh, that is one, one thing that maybe we can just mention. Sure. So I think one of the things that we, we didn't talk a lot about is placement of these side dress or in-season applications. And we have done some research with that, looking at uh, different placements. And it kind of, you know, if you're looking at these more traditional side dress application times when where we're kind of where we're at right now in early June, where we're looking at V4 to V6 corn, I don't think that there's much advantage or we did not find hardly any advantage to Y drops in our research. Any type of between the row placement, nitrogen's mobile. Once it gets nitrified, the plants are going to find it. It's not going to be an issue. Now, if we get delayed and growers decide not to put on in and then they decide, hey, maybe I need a rescue treatment much later. And when we're when I say much later, I'm talking about, you know, these rescues that are occurring when the corns may be V12 or V14 or maybe almost up to tassel. Then is there an advantage for Y drops? It, it's certainly possible because we know that the water funnels down the center of the plant and it doesn't take a whole lot of moisture to get that activated if it's near the row. But ultimately, you know, we've seen this the last couple of years where we've gotten dry soil conditions and where the plant is taking up water is not at the surface of the soil. It's taking up water at one and a half feet or two feet. And we can put all the N on and we can put it on with Y drops and put it right by the row. But we still may not get that N in the plant and make grain out of it, especially at those later growth stages in, in you know, rain fed conditions. And I know our our scientists at the U of M who works on precision ag, they've had challenges with this the last couple of years. They're looking at using uh, imagery to identify what's the right what's the right rate in season. And then they're not getting necessarily a great response to that in season, late or mid season nitrogen applications because it ends up being positionally unavailable or just does not, the plant may take it up, but it's not used to make grain and it doesn't usually give them a return on investment. And that gets at the risk that Fabian talked about earlier. Another reason why applying nitrogen at this time of the year, early June, is probably the best if you're injecting uh, the nitrogen is because if you wait much longer than these, the, the roots are going to be reaching the center of the rows. And so at that point, you'll be doing a lot of root damage by applying nitrogen. And so there is little sense in, in delaying the application uh, much past around V6 or so, because at that point, again, the roots will be growing pretty much through the entire area of the field. 
Well, that's one of the things too I've been wondering, Jeff, maybe you could have some comments on this with wider ops. I mean, right, the, the technology really has putting double bands on both sides of the plant. I mean, really the question I have is whether or not we even need that with that, because you see a lot of the data with just a single surface dribble band, since as Fabian said, the roots are reaching kind of towards more towards the middle. Is that a single band? I mean, at least as long as there's a band by each of the plants, I think that's just about as good of benefit as putting two bands on where now you've doubled the surface area. And if you're concerned about volatility of the 50% N in the UA and that's a urea, that could potentially be an issue. You know, you see a lot of things. I mean, they they look good in theory, but I guess I'm a little more simple-minded when it comes to some of these things in terms of what's going on that, um, you know, simpler seals seems to be somewhat of the better options here and trying to stick with some core, uh, just some of the core knowledge we know in terms of, of timing and that versus trying to go too late and get real fancy with some of these applications. Yeah, it's a good point, Dan. And I think there's some old research and it may have even been done by Mike Schmidt that said that even fertilizing every other row in a side dress was just as good as fertilizing every row. And I sometimes think engineering solutions to to agronomic uh, problems is well. If one one or one or side dress band on one side of the row is good, two must be better. <laughs> and I I totally agree with you, Dan. I don't know that I know of the advantage of why you would need uh you know a wide drop on both sides, but I guess that's uh that's the way that's engineered. That's the way it's been designed. But uh, I think growers could build their own or create their own, and one would probably be adequate. How late in the growing season can you apply nitrogen, and what should you consider? My my thought on this, um, after looking at data for for a number of years with different timings of application, is that the reason we do uh, split applications or side race applications is either because we need to apply additional nitrogen, um, or because we already planted that way and we apply only a small amount of nitrogen, and now we are adding the rest of nitrogen. But the the, the main reason uh, we apply nitrogen in season is, uh, if we plant it that way, is to minimize the risk of nitrogen loss. And so, as I mentioned earlier, at this point in the growing season, the potential for nitrogen loss is really low. So there is really no advantage of delaying the application. Um, as long as nitrogen is in the profile, the plant will use it. You know, the, the corn roots, they don't care if you apply nitrogen right before it was taken up or three weeks ago or five weeks ago. As long as it's there, the plant will use it. And so um, I hear this concept of a spin, a spoon feeding the crop, and it's it makes very little sense. I mean, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of field trips across the field more expense and it really doesn't do much for you uh, because again what you're trying to do with these uh, in-season applications is minimize the potential for loss and so I would say apply nitrogen and apply it now as Jeff mentioned um, if you look at the forecast it's better to try to apply it ahead of a rain event so that you get some some of that nitrogen moving to the root zone um, but apply it now. The crops are, I would say, across the state uh, between, you know, V3, V6, somewhere in there. And so they're going to start taking up nitrogen very quickly. And there is no sense in delaying that application. Um, one thing that um, some of the, the people that talk about uh, spoon feeding the crop often don't talk about is the fact that you actually increase your risk for... Um, 
for poor performance of that application, the longer that you wait in the season, because we tend to get drier and hotter in the season. And so if you wait uh, until the plant is like, I don't know, V10, V12, and you have to make it hard for yourself because you have now to use high clearance equipment and stuff like that, um, is that you could end up with pretty dry conditions and that nitrogen will just sit there on the soil surface and it will not be used by the crop. And so you you could have that really negative uh, thing by just simply waiting later later in the season. Uh, and like I said, we have done quite a bit of research looking at different types of application and the sweet window of, of time to apply nitrogen in my experience is between V4 and V8. I would not wait any longer than V8 to apply nitrogen. And then the, the, the other thing to consider again is the fact that the longer that you wait, if, if you are doing a um, broadcast application, you increase the, the uh, damage potential of that canopy. And so that goes against you. You, as I mentioned, you probably need a specialized equipment, high clearance equipment and stuff like that. You get the application done the longer you wait. So there's really very little sense in waiting longer into the season to apply nitrogen at, at this point. Um, so go ahead, apply the nitrogen that you need now and, and don't delay. If you are in a situation where for whatever reason you do have to wait, um, I would not recommend going any any farther than like VT, you know, when you get uh, tassels showing up, that's that's the very latest that you would want to apply nitrogen. If you apply nitrogen after that point, it's not going to help you in any way uh, in terms of improving yield. Yeah, I think normally with those late applications, once we get to a certain point, our, our soils are rich enough, though, to start mineralizing enough ends. So you start seeing your uptake tail off. And that's one of the things that if you look at our recommendations, we do stress to try to, if you're doing a planned side dress, or even it's kind of a rescue treatment in this situation, to try to get done by about V6. And a lot of that just so to give you an, more of a ability to catch a rain to get that nitrogen down to the roots. So that's kind of the main thing. Um, if you're planning for it, just make sure that you're setting yourself up that the nitrogen will be where it needs to be. Because if it's just laying on the surface, it's not really going to be doing any good. So... You know, looking at kind of southern Minnesota, it seems like the rain's been more consistent there. So you may be able to catch a rainfall event, you know, central Minnesota and some of those other areas. I'd be a little bit more concerned in some areas where the rainfall hasn't um, showed up. So the the earlier, the, the better uh, just to make that decision. I don't think I'd wait too long if you're going to make the decision to do it. Um, and we've seen that um, if you look at a lot of the ag um, ag press out there talking about late season applications, VT and above, and these are planned splits, and we just do not see the benefit to it here. I think there's maybe one year out of the last 10 or 15 that there may have been some evidence of something, you know, post VT as a rescue treatment increasing yield, but that's pretty rare. So I, I, again, the situation, I mean, I would just be doing some assessments now, trying to figure out what your options are. And then, um, you know, hopefully just with some of those tools, if you can kind of help you make a decision in terms of what's the best thing to do, because it's really, you're kind of at the point where I think you'd be, you want to be making these decisions if you're looking at some sort of um, in-season application in, in terms of what you need to do. Are there any last words from the group? You know, one thing that I would say is that I think the, the fields that are at the greatest risk, Bobby and touched on this earlier, is the fall application, I especially early applications of swine manure that were done in the earlier fall or late, late summer of last year. And then we still have a lot of fall urea that goes out here in South Central Minnesota and these areas that have seen a lot of rain, especially in 
back in that period or that window back in early to mid-May. And those are the two things in particular where I would be concerned. I think the later anhydrous with an in inhibitor and the spring applications, I'm not all that concerned about these fields. And of course, rate is a factor too. If growers are putting on a rate that's that's you know significantly greater than what we are recommending at the U of M, even if they did lose some N, they probably still have adequate N in those fields. Well, Jeff, you brought up fall urea too. And I think the thing to watch out for this year with that is since we didn't really have a whole lot of frozen soil over the winter, it would be in a good winter for volatility for anything that was shallow incorporated. So I just would keep an eye on those fields and then uh, maybe do an assessment now I mean, even in spite of some of this rainfall, just with the the uh, winter we had, um, we may have seen some more volatility than we do tend to see with some of those um, those applications, because that's one of the things that volatility doesn't stop even in the winter with fall urea. And I think it's one of the lost pathways we underestimate with that. So it might be a good, you know, just check on some of these fields and... Um, Right now, it's the, the window where it's optimal to make some of these decisions. Um, so just to kind of do that sooner than later, in, instead of waiting too late and and uh, risking some reduction in yield. Yeah, and Jeff, thanks for bringing that point up about uh, fall urea. You know, in my previous comments, when I was talking about how much risk we have of loss, I was not even thinking about urea because as far as I'm concerned, that's that's the worst thing you can do. I mean, if you apply fall urea, you're basically setting yourself up to pay for urea or for nitrogen twice. To pay in the fall and then pay again in the spring because you, even if you have really good conditions, uh, you're going to lose nitrogen. I mean, we have seen that in research year after year consistently. Even with years where we have low potential for nitrogen loss, you do lose more nitrogen with urea in the fall than you would with the spring application. So you end up having to apply more. Um, so, yeah, um, definitely check those fields. And for from now on, don't apply fall urea. It's just not a, a viable alternative. And then um, one more thing that I just wanted to mention for the late applications, as I mentioned, I don't recommend it, but in some situation, if you really need to apply nitrogen and it's, you know, close to tassel that time, the only place where you we've seen benefits of those really late applications is when the corn is severely deficient. Um, if, you know, if you're looking at the crop and it looks about normal, you, the chance of getting any benefit are slim to none. Uh, the, the only situation where we've seen that benefit, again, is when you see that the crop definitely is nitrogen deficient. And so adding, adding some nitrogen will definitely give a bump in the in the yield that you, you would get otherwise. But uh, if that's not the case, don't worry about it because, um, and again, looking through research at this time of the year, from now basically to, to harvest, even though we apply nitrogen, the majority of the nitrogen that the plant is taking up is through mineralization, is through the process of mineralization. It's the nitrogen that is mineralized in the field. And so you will get most of that from, from that source than you would from, um, from an application. All right, that about does it for this episode of the Nutrient Management Podcast. We'd like to thank the Agricultural Fertilizer Research and Education Council, or AFRAC, for supporting the podcast. Thanks for listening. 